This episode of The Minimalists is brought to you by the following message. In a world where less is more, two men are on a journey. Dude, what are you doing? Oh, no, I was just trying the whole advertising thing out see how it would work. <laughs> but uh, I guess not. You know, advertisements suck. And so this episode and all of our episodes are 100% advertisement free. If you do want to support the podcast, you can just go to theminimalists.com slash donate. We hope you enjoy the show. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed. Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Minimalists podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. I'm Joshua Fields Milburn, and I am Ryan Nicodemus, and that makes us the Minimalists. This is episode number seven of the Minimalists podcast, and today we are going to talk about stuff. Stuff. Yes. So, uh, Ryan, what'd you do this weekend? This weekend, I went snowboarding. Me and Mariah went down to her family's house about an hour south of Missoula, hit up a mountain called Lost Trail, and had an awesome day snowboarding. And then Sunday, we just did like the boring Sunday stuff, you know, errands and grocery shopping and cleaning and things like that. What about you, man? Sunday night, I was trying to get Ella to bed, and (laughs) and, uh, she was having her own version of a packing party. I don't think she knows what a packing party is yet. She she calls Ryan the other Josh, by the way. <laughs> she honors me. Uh, she uh, fight, fights going to bed, much like Ryan does, actually. And one of her tactics this weekend was to start grabbing all of the stuff in her room. And she just kept, uh, she had this incantation that she was saying over and over. All my stuff is going bye-bye. All my things are going bye-bye. <laughs> all my things are going <laughs> bye-bye. And I was just That's call- awesome. I was calling her a minimalist. On- well, it was sort of awesome because she was just taking all of her books and like her dolls and everything and chucking it into the huge pile a- in the living room. I got to tweet about that experience. I, I set up an account for Ella. Uh, if anyone wants to follow it, it's just at Ella Sandwich. There's a whole, there's a whole story behind that. She says the darndest things, as it were, and and so I get to I get to really enjoy that. And and so we were dealing with her stuff this weekend, and we should probably go ahead and and start this episode with uh, some voicemails. Who's our for- first voicemail from? Caitlin. I'd love to hear your recommendations for someone who has a passion that involves using or having a lot of stuff. So I love cooking, and it brings a lot of value to my life, but I've also found I tend to accumulate pots, pans, utensils, appliances, gadgets, because I'm trying to cook a lot of new things. I also love scrapbooking and crafting, and that involves a lot of paper products, scissors, tools, knickknacks. What do you do when the experiences that add value to your life also involve a lot of material items? What do you do if you're passionate about something and it brings you a lot of stuff? Like you've you've picked the wrong passion. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. You've lost, you've lost the game. No, um, that, that's a really good question. I I've had this approach, uh, this question approach a couple of different ways. I've had people ask me, what do I do if I'm an artist? 
you know, I've got all these art supplies or like her, what do I do if I'm a scrapbooker? Or you know, in my case, I'm a snowboarder. So I, I've got a lot of equipment there. Um, I, I guess I would start by answering Caitlin's question by saying that for me, all of the things that I have when it comes to snowboarding, for example, I have exactly what I need, meaning I don't have two snowboarding jackets. I don't have multiple snowboards, multiple bindings. Um, I, I have exactly what I need. I, I have one pair of gloves, one snowboarding jacket that actually kind of doubles as a, a, another jacket that I can wear around if I want to. So it's kind of multi-purpose. Um, but yeah, I, I would start there for sure is asking do you have what you need already with your passion? Yeah, we don't, we don't want anyone to deprive themselves of the stuff that they need to pursue what they're passionate about or cultivate their passion. Uh, my partner, uh, Rebecca, she, she is a dietitian and she's a phenomenal cook. But I can tell you that she doesn't need a ton of, of kitchen utensils and, and, and kitchen things. Often the accoutrements that we surround ourselves with are an excuse that, that sort of prevent us from doing the thing we actually want to do, which in this case could be cooking, mm-hmm. or uh, my former spouse, Carrie, is uh, definitely a scrapbooker <laughs> and, and had the accoutrements for that. But it doesn't require that you have every single tool that has ever been made to pursue that hobby, to pursue that passion. Really, the question is, what do you truly need? And and then do you truly need it going forward? Because you may try out a tool that helps augment your your hobby, but it may not continue to provide that same amount of value. And so you have to be honest with yourself. Another tip that I would have is is quite often you can borrow or rent the things that you might need. I know you're talking about before we started recording with your snowboard mm-hmm. th- this weekend. Um, I, I don't think that you have to necessarily buy the item right away, or you can consume a used version of the item. You can go on to Craigslist. You can go on to eBay or wherever, and, and that way we're not producing all of these brand new things and using all the materials and resources. The, the stuff is already out there. And so if you want to use it for a temporary period of time, you can get it from Craigslist. And if it doesn't work out, if it's not truly bringing you value, you can put it back on Craigslist and get rid of it. Yeah, the the snowboard that Josh is talking about for the listeners, I went and demoed a snowboard this Saturday. It cost me 25 bucks to try it out on the mountain. Uh, I've been looking at this snowboard for the last three or four weeks, really deciding whether or not uh, I wanted to purchase a new snowboard. The one I have uh, is about eight years old. Uh, Mariah, she needed some new bindings. Her board was getting pretty wrecked, so I was thinking maybe I could give her my old one and, and, and get a new one. But I'll tell you, when I f- saw that snowboard for the first time, I called Mariah up and I was like, I'm going to get this. I, I, I got to get this. And she was like, well, why don't you think about it for a little bit? I'm like, yeah, I know. I will think about it for, for a little bit. But, but I mean, that was my first impulse was to go ahead and buy it. And I, even without Mariah's advice, I still probably uh, would have waited. But I certainly still get those urges. And the way that I combat those urges is putting things – uh, putting those decisions on hold for a couple weeks or, or maybe putting it on hold for 30 days. I could see that with Caitlin, how the kitchen stuff would be so much more difficult though, right? Because mm. like you're flipping through a catalog and it's like, oh, here's a, here's um, a... Avocado bi- slicer. <laughs> right. Here, here's a Bill Clinton cookie cutter set. Like, oh, my, I like Bill Clinton. I might use that one day. And it only costs two ninety nine. I could see where it, it would be even easier to buy uh, impulsively when it comes to that. So for Caitlin uh, and anyone else out there who has 
a hobby or a passion that involves a lot of stuff, uh, I would work on the impulse buying by not impulse buying. Meaning if you go to the store and let's say you're an artist and you go to the store and, and you've got a list of art supplies, get what is only on that list. Don't get anything else impulsively. If there's something else there that you feel like you want, then put it on a list for the next time you go. I, I do that a lot uh, at the grocery store or um, at Best Buy. Best Buy gets me a lot. Like I go in there and I'm like, man, look at all these shiny new gadgets. And I'll sit there and play with all the demos and totally get that impulse to upgrade or to, to purchase a new gadget. Uh, but, but ultimately, I have stopped the impulse buying. Easier said than done, sure. but it's like any other habits. If you incorporate it into your life, if you practice that, the more I should say, just the more you practice it, the, the easier it gets. And you can remove those temptations as well. You know, if if you're really tempted by Best Buy, don't go to Best Buy. Don't go to Best Buy. Right. If you're really tempted by the the uh, cookware catalog, then don't look through the cookware catalog. You know, recycle it. Get rid of it. Yeah. And, and I think that's true with any temptation. The more temptation we put in front of us, the the more apt we are to to succumb to that temptation. So yeah. we we definitely need to be we, we need to be careful with with what we have, what we bring into our lives, and and you know question whether or not is this something that I'm collecting. You know, yeah. we, we we often talk about how I think collections can be dangerous. I think collecting is a dangerous word when we're doing when we're collecting the things just for the sake of collecting. And and so, you know, it it's really a euphemism or, or semantics for hoarding in in many cases. And so we hoard all these things we're not actually using mm-hmm. because we're going to use them someday in some non-existent hypothetical future. Like, oh, if I do get that av- avocado slicer and that that fruit dehydrator or whatever. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with either one of those things if you're truly going to get value from it. But the question is. Are you going to get value from it? And is there a responsible way to bring that into your life? You don't have to order it brand new from, from the infomercial. We saw a stat recently about 99% of things that are, uh, that are purchased are no longer used after the first six months of purchase. That means we continue to use only 1%. One percent of the things we purchase uh, after a, a six-month period, and the way to combat that is there's enough stuff out there already. We can consume many of the things. It doesn't have to be everything. It's not all or nothing. It doesn't have to be draconian. It can be where we try to consume as responsibly as possible, and and if we're, we're consuming half of our things or 80% of our things that are used, you can bring it into your life, you can test it out, and then you can have a process in your life to make sure you're letting go when it isn't adding value. Yeah, I'll tell you another thing that I ask myself too, especially at Best Buy when I get that urge, uh, when I see whatever gadget it may be, I'll ask myself, did I need that before I saw it? Mm. And the majority of the time when I get those impulses, I, I didn't necessarily need it. And it's same thing goes uh, for the stuff we hold on to. We hoard. It's like you see something and you're like, oh, I might use that one day. But were you even thinking about that item before you saw it sitting in your hoard? Yeah. And, so, and like I said, Bex is a dietitian and she, she's a phenomenal cook. And she was doing a little mini packing party on her kitchen recently. <laughs> As she was going through her stuff, she, she was employing her, her version of what we call the 90-90 rule, basically. Have I used this in the last 90 days? And am I going to use it in the next 90 days? Now, 
that interval might not be right for everyone. It, it might be 30 days for some people. It tends to be 30 days for me. Uh, it may be 120 days for someone else. But usually the 90-90 rule, the, the reason I like that is it works for clothes, it works for gadget, it works for, for, for whatever, because it accounts for seasonality, right? If you look back 90 days, that's three months ago. You look, you look forward 90 days, that's three months. So it covers a six-month period, which is going to cover pretty much any season. And, and so you can take into account seasonality, you can take into account the, the past and the future, mm-hmm. as long as you're honest with yourself about what you're consuming. Yeah. Let's go ahead and move on to a voicemail from Matt. I, I have a question for you. I have been, uh, over the last couple of years, I've really started to uh, embrace this idea of decluttering. And I, I have done a really good job with that, I think. But one of the things that kind of emerged out of that was this idea of the everyday carry. I've gotten rid of so many things, but I found that I sort of had like a a, a core set of, of, of items, if you will, that I carry with me or that I, I felt like I needed every day. And I, I just wondered if uh, either Josh or Ryan, if either one of you happen to have some type of uh, everyday carry that you uh, maybe have on your person or, or a bag or something that you carry with you. And if you maybe... Just be willing to elaborate with us on the podcast about what that is. So, Ryan, do you have something that you carry with you every day? No way, man. I'm a minimalist. Just walk around naked all day. No, um, I carry my wallet. I carry my phone. And then I've got my computer bag that I necessarily don't carry every day. But certainly if I'm using my computer and going out somewhere, I'll use that computer bag. Um, I'll tell you, in my computer bag, I always have like some screen wipes to clean off my computer screen. They're really handy. Um, I'll tell you what I don't carry that a lot of people do that I've decided uh, over the last couple months are these like... We'll tell co- you right after this commercial break. <laughs> I'm actually dying to know. What, it's what is it's it? these punch cards, man. Like, oh. you know how we'll go to the good food store and like we'll, yes. we'll get a smoothie or we'll get a juice. And like, the good oh. food store is uh, the local equivalent of, of Whole Foods here, yeah. here in Missoula, Montana. Yeah. And like you go to the counter and they say, oh, do you have your punch card? And I was always like, oh, yeah, I got it. And then the other day I found, literally found three punch cards. Um, when you added them all together, it was like one and a half punch cards stamped. And I have no idea where along the lines I had misplaced those punch cards. Or maybe they were Mariah's or something. But I started getting anxiety over it. Like, oh, man, I wasted my punches. Like, Yes, it stresses me out. And yeah. in fact, I, I was there the other day and I ordered I ordered a juice. And <laughs> the, the woman's like, uh, do you have your punch card on you? And I just said, no. She goes, do you want to start a new one? No. No? And she's like, are you sure? I'm like, yeah, they, they really stress me out, and it's really not worth the, the, f- the extra punch yeah, for How me. much do you save? Right. I, and, What's and, the juice there, five bucks? And I'm not saying the $5 isn't a lot. I'm just saying that for me, when I look at my resources, when I look at my time, when I look at my attention, I would rather pay the $5 than keep track of those punch cards. When you, yeah, when you amortize a juice and it's 20 punches for one juice, we're talking something like a quarter each time. And, and, and really <laughs> what, what you're talking way. about is my time and attention that, that I focus on. Now, other people, I know people who actually get a ton of value from like clipping coupons and just excitement and yeah, joy from that, sure. sitting down, and it becomes this experience for them. And so that's great. We're, we're not saying not to carry that, but uh, the question is, is it worth carrying? Is it worth carrying, yeah. You, you know, when I first heard of this voicemail, I thought Matt said everyday carrot, like carrot and stick. Like, is there something that keeps oh, you wow. motivated every day? <laughs> and that's an utterly different question, but it gives me ideas about, like, what's your everyday carrot? In our 
our first book, a book called Minimalism, Live a Meaningful Life, we, we wrote about the five values. I would say those are my everyday carrots, the things that keep me motivated. When, when I get off track or out of focus, I always have to go back and say, okay, it, does this serve any of my values? Uh, those five values are health, relationships, passion, growth, contribution. And I find the things I get the most value from in life tend to fulfill more than one of those values. So those are my everyday carrots. In terms of what do I carry on me every day, I always have chapstick on me. Chapstick, chapstick is a, my everyday And a crowbar and body bags and <laughs> <laughs> bleach. Uh, no, I carry chapstick all the time because I'm terrified of chapped lips, lips especially living out, out west. You know, it's, it's pretty dry out here. But, but generally, no. I mean, as long as I have my wallet on me, I don't even need my phone. I, I generally leave my phone in the car a, a lot. Uh, I don't have to have something on me all the time. Ooh, I just thought of something I carried. What's that? Uh, that other people might get value from. I know you don't carry one of these, but I do. It's a like a multi-functioning tool that goes on my keychain. It actually looks like a key when it folds together. Um, mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. a few different variations of this. Um, there's one, our friend uh, Drew Capernaul, he actually invented one called uh, the Everyman. It's basically a multi-functional tool that... I will use to um, cut open a box. Like we got a box of books. It's really nice to have that key on me. I can open up and use it. In fact, I, I know that when you and I are together, you ask me for that tool <laughs> quite, a, quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, that's the nice thing about being a minimalist. You just ask your friends for stuff. Right, exactly. Or it has like a little screwdriver on it that I've totally used for little odds and ends things. But it's just a nice little tool that I carry with me that goes on my keychain. It doesn't fill up my pocket any more uh, than, than a key would. And I use it a lot. I, I use it if it's not every day, it's every other day. But I use it quite a bit. Let's move on to our next voicemail. This one is from Casey. Something I'm seeing all over YouTube right now is the KonMari method of decluttering. She claims it's the Japanese art of decluttering. And I'm just curious what you think of it and how you feel it's any different than what you are teaching. Josh, what do you think about the KonMari method? I've seen a lot about it. We've had a lot of people who come out to our events or people have mentioned it a ton on, on social media. And so I, I think a lot of people get value from it. I think that it deals a lot more with the stuff side of things. It's it's a how-to method. And um, I was listening to uh, the the Slate podcast, the the Culture Gab Fest, which I've I've mentioned and recommended in the past, uh, Julia Turner and, and a few other people over there. And it's a great podcast, but they had uh, an episode called the Spark Oi edition. And, and <laughs> they, they sort of talked about the, the uh, I think in their words, draconian-ness um, uh, of the KonMari method and, and how it is great uh, in terms of how to. But, but I think the way that it, it differs from what Ryan and I do is – We'll approach a lot of the how-to stuff and, and give some practical tips for minimalism for sure. But but a lot of what we do is more of the the what-to and especially the why-to. And, and the reason that's so important is I think if we don't understand the purpose, the why-to behind minimalism, then we can declutter our closets all we want. But if we don't know why we're doing it, then that closet we just decluttered will be brimming with new purchases in the not-too-distant future. And so by, by addressing the why, I think we're able to get enough leverage to determine why we're doing and then what we should do, what we should be focused on. And then we, we can move over to the how-to stuff. I mean, let's face it. How to declutter your closet? 
it's fairly simple. There are some tips and, and tactics that may help you a little bit, mm-hmm. but we all know how to declutter our homes. And I think we, where we need to be careful, and KonMari certainly doesn't advocate just organizing stuff, but a lot of, uh, of we, we spoke at a conference last year, the National Association for, for Professional Organizers, we gave a, a keynote address there. And uh, jokingly, I was going to give a 13-word speech uh, first. You know, the best way to organize your stuff is to get rid of most of it. And you know, I, I think the, the true home organizers, the people who do this for a living, they realize that organizing is, is a misnomer because mm-hmm. it's not about just putting all your stuff in ordinal bins and having a system that – it's not systematizing your clutter – it's actually about getting the stuff out of the way that doesn't bring you joy anymore, that doesn't serve a purpose in your life. And so if the KonMari method helps you out, I, I think that's great. But I would ask you to get leverage, figure out why you're doing what you want to do. And then also, and far more important, where are you going once you get rid of the stuff? You could rent a dumpster, get rid of all of it, and be miserable. Mm-hmm. The point is, what are you going to focus on once you've got that out of the way? Yeah, absolutely. And whether you're using an approach like the packing party or uh, the KonMari method or the 30-day minimalism game, whatever it is, I think the key is is that you start with something and you start with a plan and you follow through with that plan. So, you know, personally, what do I think about the KonMari method? Uh, it's there and there are some very good steps and she, she asks a lot of good questions like, what do you want your life to look like? And I think that's a great place to start. I, I think uh, that's something we are, you know, huge advocates too. It's like, what are your values and beliefs? What do you want to revolve your life around? So certainly um, it is an approach that has worked for a lot of people. And uh, if it, like Josh said, if it works for you, great, try it out. Uh, feel free to send us a comment and let us know how, how the, that method worked out for you. Let's listen to the next voicemail from Sarah. Do you have any suggestions to help stop compulsive buying habits or how you determine before you buy something whether an item will actually add value to your life? How to stop compulsive buying habits. Yeah, I think there are a couple questions that that we asked. One I I got from Ryan and one is a question I asked myself. The first question to ask is, can I afford this? And that doesn't just mean financially. I think that's a good a good question to start with. Can I afford this financially? Meaning, am I not going to go into debt? And is there a better way for me to spend these resources? But other resources other than money are just as important. Time, attention, space in our home, space in our minds. Mm-hmm. You know, by, by consuming more stuff, we're constantly activating that, that portion of our mind that, that is consumed with consumption. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I was reading this article um, at the Seattle Times website. Marsha Richens, she's a Journal of Consumer Research. She talks about how people who are materialistic, who buy more than other consumers, are willing to go into debt to buy things they can't afford because they believe their lives will be transformed by the purchases. So what she's saying is like these people who go into debt buying compulsively are doing so thinking that their lives are going to be transformed. And I think that's that's somewhere... Sarah can start with is each purchase that she's looking at buying, is it actually going to transform her life, especially this minimalist lifestyle that she's kind of forced into because of work because she has to move internationally all the time. Uh, It would be a very easy thing like, okay, is this souvenir, is this going to uh, really change my life or should I just 
maybe appreciate this souvenir and leave it on the shelf? So I think that question is really important. Yeah, I mean, and the other question to ask is, uh, is this going to add value to my life? And how do you define adding value is what she asked. And for me, that's does it serve a purpose or does it bring me joy? And I'm constantly trying to figure that out. And it changes over time. I'm 34 years old now, and the things that served a purpose at 25 are different from you know, 10 years later. And the same will be true at, at 45. And plus, we have to define what, what happiness is in, in that case. And I think it's an old uh, stoic definition of, of happiness is the, the lack of suffering. And if I, if I look at it that way, are the things going to make you suffer less? Uh, you may be familiar with the, the, the term uh, hedonic adaptation or the hedonic treadmill. And, and that, that basically, uh, the, the, that I, the idea w- with the hedonic treadmill is that humans quickly return to a, uh, a relatively stable level of happiness, despite any sort of big positive gains that they've ever had. So you may get really excited in the mm-hmm. moment because you won the lottery or you purchased this new car or you uh, bought a diamond ring or whatever. You, you get this initial burst of dopamine and joy from that. But is it actually going to bring you joy in a more long-term sense? It doesn't mean it has to forever, but often our purchases, that high we get, it doesn't last far past the checkout line, and we right. need to be measured with that. Ryan mentioned something earlier about putting it on a list, and there, there are two kinds of lists you can work with here. Uh, one of the lists that I have, like when I go grocery shopping, I never, ever buy anything that isn't on my list. So Amen. I, that has helped me out so much. And I might go to the store, and, oh, I knew I wanted to put herbal tea on the list, but because I've, I've, I've forced myself to be rigid in that, it... it curbs the the impulse buy and yeah. so I have to put it on the list for next time. I have to make it a little bit inconvenient for myself. And sometimes that sucks. But most of the time it really saves my butt from from purchasing things that I don't really need. The other thing you can do is, is put it on a, a 30-day wait list. Like if there's something you really want, especially if it's a big purchase, so so set a threshold if it's over twenty bucks or something. Put it on a list and say, I'm not going to buy this thing for at least 30 days. And at the end of those 30 days, once you've been contemplating it, researching Mm -hmm. it, deciding whether or not you need it, then you can pull the trigger if you've determined that, yes, I can afford it. That's Mm -hmm. question number one. I can afford it emotionally. I can afford it monetarily. I can afford it the time and attention and space this thing takes up. I can afford to take care of it because, by the way, we, we buy more things. We have to take care of it. You buy a piece of furniture. It has to be dusted. It has right. to be taken care of. And so can I af- afford all of that? And if I can't afford it, the, is it really going to, to serve a purpose in my life? And is it going to bring me joy? And, and thinking of joy, is it going to alleviate some, alleviate some sort of suffering in yeah. my life? Going back to the example of that snowboard that I wanted to get, uh, the $25 demo. So I tried it out. I actually did end up buying that snowboard after a very deliberate month of research, uh, comparing it to other snowboards, and then eventually saying, okay, I want to buy this, but... I still don't have to buy it. I could still just try it out. Uh, and that's what I did and then ended up really, really loving it and really, uh, really finding that it did bring me joy. And it totally increased my, my snowboarding game. But, you know, I just wanted to mention <laughs> one more thing. I just wanted to mention one more thing. Uh, Marcia Richens, the marketing professor uh, at the University of Missouri, she talks about very similar to what you said earlier about the high not going past the checkout line. But she says, although materialists still experience positive emotions after making a purchase, 
these emotions are less intense than before they actually acquire a product, meaning that the thought of the purchase gets the consumer more high than the actual purchase. So that is something to definitely take into consideration. I think that right there is just ammunition to not go off the list, right? It's like when you're at the store, you get that initial impulse, uh, you ignore that um, because you know that chances are after you buy it, you're not going to appreciate it as much as you thought you would. Yeah. Then the last thing to maybe ask is, does this have a place in my life? Or is this appropriate for my life? Or is maybe the better question is, is this the most appropriate use of my money? Because for me, could I afford to purchase a snowboard right now? Yeah, probably. But it wouldn't be an appropriate use of my money. I I hate snowboarding, and and so th- there would it would be silly for me to go purchase snowboard. Now you know what? In my corporate days of yesteryear, because I'd had the money, and oh, my friend Ryan snowboards. I should own a snowboard too, mm-hmm. and that that sort of keeping up with the Joneses mentality. And yeah, I might use that someday. Well, yeah, just because you can't afford it doesn't mean that it's the most appropriate use of of your money. And so think about that before you make the purchase. Is there a better way for me to spend my money? And then uh, the last thing that you mentioned, Ryan, about the, the materialist part, we in our documentary, um, which comes out in theaters May 24th, 2016. Visit minimalismfilm.com. <laughs> you know, we're, we're super excited about that, but there is a whole segment in in that documentary about stuff and the accumulation of stuff and, yeah. and what it's doing, not not just to the sort of degradation of our planet, but what it's doing to us as individuals mm. and us as a society uh, as a whole. And uh, we have a, uh, a woman in there named uh, Julia Shore, and, and she talks about how we are too materialist in the, the traditional sense of, of purchasing all of these things, but in, in a different sense, maybe we're not materialist enough, meaning we don't care about the stuff enough that we bring into our lives because we are treating everything as if it's disposable. The stat from earlier, 99% of the things we purchase, we throw out within, within six months. Right. Well, that means we don't actually care about the things we bring into our life, and a lot goes into the production of these things. And so we need to be careful about what we're bringing into our lives we, we've developed this culture of, of fast consumption and, and fast fashion, whereas there are 52 uh, clothing cycles every year. We used to have two to four seasons of, of, of you know, what's in trend, so to speak, and now we have 52 seasons of what's in trend, and it changes weekly. And so we need to be careful. Just because something isn't fashionable anymore, it, it doesn't mean that, it, um, that we need to go and consume the, the next new Thing. And so asking whether or not something's appropriate allows us to be materialist in the best sense of the word, care about the stuff we, we bring into our lives. Let's move on to our next voicemail. This one comes from Angela. Do you follow the mentality of owning a certain number of kitchen items or clothing or any of that? I know there's some um, different groups that promote that type of minimalism. And also wondering if ever on your essays on your blog, if you um, have or would post pictures of your home. I think it's always interesting to see what a minimalist home does look like. How many things do you own, Ryan? (laughs) You know, it's funny. When you first introduced me to the idea of minimalism, I remember you sent me that video of Colin Wright 
where he was kind of going through and talking about his 51 things. Right. And it was such a turnoff for me. Yeah. I'm like, I really admire this this gentleman and the life that he lives. I wanted to live his life. Like at the time, like I just wanted to pick up and, and go. Right. But the idea of having 51 things was like, that's really silly to to limit it to a number. Now, that's not what Colin was doing. He wasn't limiting it to a number. He was just sharing with the world, like, hey, these are the things I travel with uh, because this is what fits my lifestyle. And it made perfect sense. So, yeah, I, yeah, I don't count my stuff. To me, that is missing the whole point for me as to why I decided to go down this road of simplicity and in, in living a deliberate life. Yeah, I... I like to joke that I have a list of all of my possessions, but I threw away the list because I didn't want it to count as one possession. <laughs> when I was first introduced to minimalism, I, I felt the same way. I saw this sort of contest, this quick contest to the bottom where I'm the most minimalist. I'm more minimalist than your minimalist. I only own 20 things. My less is less than your less. It's <laughs> m- more less than your less. Uh, yeah. And, and so... What was actually, but but I agree with you too. Like it was sort of admirable in a way when I looked at someone like Colin, he owned 51 things, but that's because his passion is to travel to a new country every four months. Right. He can't necessarily carry a love seat with him. Right. When right. he lives in Argentina for four months and then bring it back. Right. I like having a kitchen table right. personally. Yeah. And I wouldn't do very well traveling perpetually, trying to get the, the kitchen table onto the airplane and, and stick it in like the, the overhead bin. But for Colin, those 51 things are what's appropriate for his life. For those of you who don't know what we're talking about, uh, a friend of ours, a uh, business partner for our publishing company as well, uh, his name's Colin Wright. You can find his blog at uh, exilelifestyle.com if you're interested in, in seeing his whole journey. But yeah, he took a photo with like, I think the 51 things that he owned at the time. And he's in our documentary as well, because that is a different approach toward minimalism. It's certainly not my approach. In fact, when I first found minimalism, I found all these different recipes. There were people like him or, or Dave Bruno, who wrote a book called The 100 Thing Challenge, who, you know, he has a whole family, but he just lived with 100 things for over the course of one year. And even Dave would tell you that the number itself, 100 items, was arbitrary. And when we first started our, our website at theminimalists.com, I wrote an essay very early on, so I think this is late 2010, actually. It was it was called The 288 Things I Own. And it was sort of making fun of myself, but also making fun of the, the contest of, of competing to be the most less. I love when that comes up in interviews and, like, they don't get the satire. Right. Yeah, people like, so say, tell us about the 288 things you own. Is Why it, is that number important to you? <laughs> like, you didn't read the essay, did you? Well, exactly. And so... Even in the essay, it talks about it being this sort of parodic exaggeration because I found that when people were counting their stuff, sometimes they'd group things together. They'd, they'd <laughs> right. say, like, I own 72 things, but all of my underwear counts as one thing. Right. And so in this essay, I grouped all my books together. That was one right. thing. All of my underwear was one thing. My T-shirts were one thing. And, and the joke was that, okay, so the average American household has more than 300,000 items in it. If you get rid of 90% of your stuff, which I did – does that mean I own 30,000 items? You probably. I have no idea how many items I own. Now, jokingly, I took an inventory of my stuff. But here's the weird, weird, weird side of that is by taking that, even the joking inventory of my stuff and going through and cl- counting my 288 items and grouping a bunch of stuff, it did help me 
start to question the things I still had in my life. Mm. And so I would suggest that even as a joke to go through and and take a look at your stuff, take a a sort of physical inventory of of your things, and you might find that you don't need as much of the stuff that you had, even as you're paring down, going through your, your whole minimalist journey. And we've had a lot of people who they'll do Ryan's packing party uh, or a version of it. They'll just do a packing party in one room or they'll do a packing party in their closet. Or maybe they're playing our 30-day minimalism game, which you can find out more about at uh, theminimalists.com slash game. Uh, but but whatever you're, you're doing, it's really about starting to question the stuff that is in your life. And so if you want to live with a number because that makes it easier for you, great. I'll mm-hmm. tell you this. I own somewhere between 288 and 30,000 items, maybe. <laughs> I, I, have, I have no idea. I don't own much. If you come to my house right now, you walk in and you'd say, wow, this place is really tidy. And it's not because I, I go around and I'm cleaning up and, and, and tidying up all the time. No, I don't have a lot of stuff to, to get in the way. And, and the final question there was about apartment tours. Yes, you can actually find an, an old apartment tour of my, my apartment when I lived in, in Dayton, Ohio, which is where Ryan and I are from. Uh, at theminimalists.com slash apartment. You can also follow us on Instagram. We, we did a bunch of stuff in, in our homes recently. Uh, we're just at The Minimalists on Instagram. Uh, mm-hmm. and I'm going to do an apartment tour, I think, this spring coming up. If you want to follow me on Instagram as well, or you can just go to at The Minimalists. There's and, another article somewhere with uh, when we were living together in Phillipsburg. Oh, yeah, the cabin tour. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great one. I so think. when we first moved out to Montana, we moved to a cabin in the middle of nowhere. And so you can you can actually take a uh, – we were out there for four months writing uh, a book of ours called Everything That Remains. And so we, while we were out there, we lived in a cabin on the side of the mountain. You can do a, a photo tour of that cabin at theminimalists.com slash cabin. And to everyone uh, who left us a, a voicemail today, Caitlin and Matt and Casey and Sarah and Angela – we have an entire chapter uh, about stuff. It's actually called Stuff. It's the, the second chapter in our book, Essential. And I think it's the longest chapter in that book. So I'm going to send each of you a, a copy of that book. We really hope that you enjoy it. For sure. And, you know, we'd, we'd love to hear what you all, the, the audience, has to say about stuff. So if you have a comment about stuff... Uh, including minimalism tips on how to simplify your stuff or or how to bring stuff into your life in an intentional way, then you can give us a call, 406-219-7839. We'll air some of our favorite comments and tips on the next episode. And if your voicemail is selected, we'll send you a autographed copy of, of one of our books, probably a copy of Essential or, or maybe Minimalism, Love a Meaningful Life or Everything That Remains. That's yeah. my personal favorite. You know, one thing I just want to add that I think will help all of these uh, questions through voicemail is just try stuff out. Just do some experiments. See what life is like if you get rid of one of those uh pair of scissors that you keep for scrapbooking? What happens when you don't have it for a month? Or uh, what happens when you stop buying everything except consumable goods uh, for a week? Just try different things out like that. I'd love to hear our listeners' uh, comments when it comes to their experiments and what they've tried and what has worked or, or what hasn't worked for that matter. Absolutely. And grab a grab a accountability partner too when you're playing that minimalism game. It'll help keep you accountable, but it'll also help you have some great stories that you can share with our audience via voicemail. All right. So speaking of comments, here are some voicemail comments from our last episode. Hey, Minimalists. This is Andy calling from Evanston, Illinois. Um, I'm calling to respond to your education episode. 
I think that it is our duty to go above and beyond and become as educated as we can to contribute to the world as much as we possibly can to help those who don't have the same opportunities. Hi, my name is Cassandra Helfrich. I have a very overzealous grandmother who buys my son everything under the sun. So what I do is I'm not afraid to give it away or even just to return it. And if you can get back cash for that, why not put it into a college fund, something that you can start for them in their future, something that is useful for them. If you can't get cash back for it, what I'll do is get the gift card or whatever you need for it and then buy something that they will need, whether it be like diapers or wipes, something that they can find useful even for yourself if you can't, you know, if whatever you don't need for the, your child, can you get something useful for yourself like detergent or dish soap? So that's what I try and do. This is Christine, and I'm calling from Arlington, Nebraska. I listened to your um, podcast on education, and I was really interested in it because I've been in education for 23 years, 18 as a language arts, high school language arts instructor, and the last five years as a professional school counselor. So I was really interested in what you had to say about the topic, and you know, you guys have really hit it, you know, dead on. Um, we have an education system that's broken, and and I work with a lot of kids who have some behavior issues, and I'm fully convinced that if they had more hands-on experiences and they were getting up and moving around and learning by doing, those behavior issues would evaporate. And I'm also convinced that um, we have, you know, kids that are leaving high school and we expect them at 18 years old to know exactly what they want to do, and they don't. And they need to have the opportunity to uh, have different experiences and learn and grow and and figure out their their way, whether it's a traditional higher education or into a trade school or in, 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 in an apprenticeship. So there's all different kinds of opportunities, and, and we try to pigeonhole them um, into cookie cutters. And kids aren't cookie cutters, and if we want them to contribute to society in a meaningful way, we need to, you know, individualize their learning and um, see how they grow from there. My name is Jessica. I am from Richmond, Virginia, and I just wanted to call and thank you in general for your blog and your book, but most recently for the podcast on education. I am currently a law student and have been really struggling with deciding what jobs to take after school. Do I pursue my passions, which are in environmental justice and environmental policymaking, which pays considerably less than going through the big firm route? And I really, your podcast couldn't have come at a better time because it just reminded me that I chose to go to law school to um, help other people and make changes, and this is the area that I found myself passionate about. Hi, guys. It's Michelle. Um, regarding the most recent podcast in education, I would like to suggest that anybody who is interested in pursuing higher education feels that they can't do that because of fear of going into debt or you know, just lack of resources, lack of money, um, lack of time, um, that there are not-for-profit organizations or non-profit organizations out there that do offer education assistance programs. And if you're fortunate to attain employment with one of those organizations, then um, they will most definitely, um, in most circumstances, pay for your education that, um, you know, not only enables you to 
advance a career, but also gives you the opportunity to, you know, to learn and grow and, and follow something that is, that is, you know, meaningful to you. This is Preston, and I am from, well, a lot of places. Currently, Columbus, Ohio. Prior to listening to the fourth podcast on education, I was taking a graduate-level class because several people in my company had told me it would help me further my education, further my progress within the company. But I wasn't passionate about it. I mean, it just it wasn't interesting to me. It was just something I had to do. So I decided to drop it, and I thought to myself, why do I need another degree? Why can't I just take classes on things that interest me? I want to know more about the stock market, take a class on that. Through becoming a minimalist, I realized I love my fish tanks. So why not take some marine biology classes? I want to know more about my own health. So why not take some nutrition and dietitian classes? So, yeah, um, everything that you guys said in, in podcast number four verified what I was thinking, and I appreciated that. Education doesn't have to be in a form of a degree. It can be ongoing, and it can be several different things, community colleges, you know, um, informal education, all of those things. Okay, let's move on to our iTunes comment of the week. Ryan? All right. This iTunes comment of the week comes from Squirrel1920. We have squirrels listening to this podcast. That is awesome. <laughs> Finally. A minimalist podcast that is actually helpful and is not some sanctimonious clowns bragging about how big a minimalist they are. This you know, pod- I like to think of myself as sanctimonious and as Ryan as the clown. <laughs> right. I'm definitely not a sanctimonious clown, though. <laughs> yeah, that's, that would be an insult. <laughs> but no, thank you. Uh, it goes on to say, this podcast is helpful and insightful with two very real, relatable, and funny hosts. Well... Josh and I do think we are the two funniest people in the world. Just ask us. We'll tell you. Thank you for some real help and advice to bring a sense of balance in my life. Thank you. Thank you, Squirrel. Um, really appreciate that, that awesome comment. Yeah, really, definitely. If, uh, you want so, uh, if, you, if you really want some, some funny comments from someone, uh, if, we're going to send you a copy of, of Everything That Remains. So Everything That Remains is a book that Ryan and I worked on for a while. It's the thing I'm most proud of that, that I've ever worked on. And it, it's about 200 pages, but throughout those 200, and it's written by me in a sort of first-person perspective, but throughout those 200 pages, there are 108 interruptions from Ryan, and some of them are smart-alecky remarks or you know, him just, just pointing out ridiculousness of, of things that I'm, that I'm doing. And so we'll send you a copy of that. We really appreciate the, <laughs> the, the comment there. I think it's funny, the, the one reporter who was asking you about everything that remains, and they're like, we noticed that you let Ryan get all of the last words in with everything. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny, but yeah, check it out. It's great. It's a great read. And uh, for anyone else who wants to leave a, a positive, honest review, it really helps our, our simple living message reach more ears. And we'll keep reading some of our favorite iTunes comments on the air. You can also leave them on, on Stitcher now. We're, we're on the, the podcast platform Stitcher. So you could, if you listen over there, you can, you can check it out. And uh, feel free to get creative with your, with your comments so we can air some of our favorites. And we'll keep out, uh, sending some books out to some of our favorites. And uh, I'd love to move on to a, a quick lightning round of hashtag Ask the Minimalist. I've, I've got some questions here from Instagram and Twitter. We're at the minimalists on, on, on both of those platforms. Can and we say can we say lightning round and then insert some like really cheesy lightning noises? <laughs> <laughs> Let's get ready for lightning round. 
<laughs> we're on Facebook too. Facebook.com slash The Minimalists. There we go. Let's see. Our first question is, what's your take as far as minimalism in the community, such as charitable work and getting involved? You know, I didn't do a whole lot of charitable work before I became a minimalist, before I started living a more simple life, because I didn't really have the time to do so. Maybe I would give 10 bucks here, 20 bucks there to something, but I certainly didn't invest in uh, Habitat for Humanity or soup kitchens or other charitable works uh, like I do now. But I do think one of the best parts of life is being able to give and being able to, to help people out when they're in need. Absolutely. If you want to feel truly fulfilled, it's contributing beyond yourself in a meaningful way. So, so find a way to do that. Uh, a great website to get started with that would be givewell.org. Next question is, do you keep a music collection in iTunes or are you engulfed by Spotify? Well, I'm engulfed by iTunes radio. Yeah? I, I use it a lot to listen to music now. I don't have to own an album. I don't have to download any of that stuff. I have the option to do that. It's 10 bucks a month. I know a lot of people who find that 10 bucks a month to listen to whatever they want. And it certainly adds value to my life. I, I don't buy albums anymore. Yeah, I mean, I think we're shifting from a, a culture of ownership to a culture of access. And for the very first time, we, we now have these these sort of consumer goods, what we traditionally call them, whether it's books or music or whatever, that we don't have to own a physical artifact anymore. Right. And I really love that. I would just say, you know, use whatever you get the most value from. I, I really enjoy Apple Music right now. Spotify is also great. Um, there's, uh, Spotify is very simple. They have really great playlists. I like Apple Music because it's something I'm used to, and I've used iTunes for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pandora is another great option. But the question is, what what do you enjoy most? Which interface do, do you really like? And, and sa- same goes with books. You know, uh, We have a lot of readers who have a Kobo, which is a type of e-reader. I use a, a Kindle personally because it... It, it syncs with my phone and my Kindle and my audiobooks as well. Mm-hmm. So they all sync up together. It, it's about no longer needing to consume and hold on to all of these things, but having access to the actual information. So if that's music, it's the, the music itself, the, the listening experience. And this is all about having an experience rather than, than hoarding a collection of, of things. Our next question at hashtag Ask the Minimalists. What tips do you have for, quote, but I paid good money for that. I just can't give it away. Oh, wow. I was, this other article I was reading on the BBC, it talked about how we overvalue so many things. Mm. So many things, like, uh, I forget what, it, it, it gave the example of Beanie Baby Collections. And how they are worth pennies compared to what people spent on them you know, years ago. And they might go back up in price one day. But the fact is, is that we overvalue a lot. For me, it was these cell phones, right? We worked at a cell phone company. So we had this unlimited access to these cell phones that would retail for $500, $600, $700, $800. Which, by the way, people don't understand that like, that's what the phones actually cost. Right. So, so even more, even more so, I would over perceive the value because I know what we paid for those phones. And so, if I've got a drawer full of four or five cell phones, I would look in there and see two thousand bucks. When in reality, uh, wasn't even close to that. Yeah, it, there are a few things. There is 
uh, planned obsolescence, perceived obsolescence. There's a, a new iOS update that comes out for the iPhone every month or two or whatever. I challenge you to try to put that on, on an iPhone 2. Uh, you know, if you, you're, you're using the, the software for the iPhone 6, it just doesn't work anymore. Right. And so that's one of the reasons that a phone is worth less. But then the perceived obsolescence is, oh, all of my friends have something that's cool. And that, that's where uh, it, it becomes yeah. dangerous, right? Definitely. Where, where we have, where we look at, oh, my friend has the new iPhone 6S, and I have only the iPhone 6, and that means I'm out of trend. I, mm. I am no longer caught up. Uh, we were talking to Sam Harris in our documentary about this, but you know the thing that we we really yearned for, we strive to get that new widget. After we get it and we've had it for a little while, it's no longer a source of satisfaction. It's actually a source of discontent because the newest, latest, greatest thing comes out, and we're looking over the shoulder of the thing that we had and. and we thought would bring us joy, and now it's now it is now the source of our dissatisfaction because we want the newest, greatest thing. And th- this question here from Troy about why well, I paid good money for that—that's really a sunk cost, right? Yeah, yeah. Y- you may have paid good money for it, but it doesn't mean that it's worth that anymore. And so if you you, know, you look up sunk cost in economics, and it's basically like, yeah, we've already wasted that money. You're you're never going to get it back. If you have a chance to get something back. Great. Sell it to someone else who can get value from it. Yeah, it's like if you buy a new car off the lot, it loses thousands of dollars as soon as you drive it off the car lot. You try to sell it the next day, you're going to lose thousands of dollars. It's sunk cost. Barbie asks, what tips do you have to combat hoarding instincts? And she says, uh, besides the $20 replacement rule. You know, in fact, let's actually talk about it because that's probably the best rule if you employ it uh, judiciously. What she's talking about there is what we call the just-in-case rule. And you can read about that at theminimalists.com slash J-I-C. But basically, it's like this. $20, 20 minutes. If you need to, to replace something in your life, it's going to cost $20, and you're going to get it in less than 20 minutes. Now, it doesn't that, mean that you have to consume it, right? but it means you are allowed to let go of things. Because the beauty of the just-in-case rule is that many of the things we hold on to just in case, we don't actually need them at all. And so we have to treat just in case as a non-existent hypothetical, I think. Yeah, definitely. So in addition to the 2020 rule, uh, I think that the 90-90 rule would work really well. And maybe 90-90, maybe that's not enough for you. Maybe someone's like, well, you know, well, I was pregnant last uh, the last six months and now I'm not, um, you know, there are circumstances that come up. I've, I've heard that excuse given specifically. It's why I bring it up. Maybe it's the 12 month, 12 month rule, whatever it is, uh, make rules for yourself. I, you know, I would argue too, before this podcast, Josh and I were going over some stats and, uh, just about consumption and, and how things were going in the economy with the environment. It was, it was stressing us out how, downhill the environment is going. I know for me, after watching those stats, I started thinking like, what am I getting right now? Like I was literally, when we were looking at those stats, I thought to myself, how can I get detergent in a, in a reusable container? Is that possible? Like I'm I'm sure it is, but that's where my mind started going. And I would encourage uh, whoever asked that question, I would encourage you to look at what that hoarding is doing to the environment and uh, at least help that will help shift your perspective a little bit. Yeah, think about it this way. We all need some stuff, right? Sure. 
Consumption isn't the ultimate problem, but we have gotten into a position where we consume on impulse. We consume compulsively. We consume because we think that's the American dream. We think that's what's right for the economy. And and the truth is that we can choose not to do it. Yeah. It's like Patrick Rohn said in our documentaries, like sometimes you just got to turn it off. Absolutely. And and that, that goes with our urge to, to consume as well. I've got a, a few more questions here. One one from Scott. He says, I love mov- movies, but my collection is becoming clutter. What would a minimalist do about uh, a collection of movies? <laughs> I bet he's got a big collection of VHS tapes. Is that what it is? Tapes or does it say does he, it? he doesn't say, but it's funny because sometimes we'll do events. And uh, toward, toward the beginning, I'll just say, hey, how many of you have... VHS is at home, and, and uh, you know, 30 or 40% of the room Easy. will raise their hand. Yeah. And then I'll say, okay, now how many of you, leave your hand up if you have a VCR, and only about half the hands <laughs> stay up. And it's like, wait a minute, you have a bunch of VHSs, but you don't have a VCR. Yeah. And, and okay, I realize that you might have some home movies or, or, sure. or whatever, and, and that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that, that duplicate copy you have of Airbud on VHS, <laughs> You know, it, it's, not, it's not actually bringing any joy to your life. Here's the cool thing about what we were just talking about earlier. We are in a culture of access. If you have Netflix or Apple TV or, or, or whatever, you now have access to virtually unlimited movies. You no longer have to have that collection of things. And, oh, by the way, if you've already watched the movie one time, what's the likelihood that you're going to watch it again? It's very, very small. And, and if you want to keep watching the same movie over and over again... Eh, is that the best use of your time? Only you can decide. For me, it's certainly not the best use of my time. I would encourage Scott to just pick like the, the 10 of your videos, DVDs, whatever you have that you haven't watched in the last four or five years and just go donate those and see how it feels. You're going to realize that it doesn't feel that bad. The question clearly said that he is feeling pain. Mm-hmm. You know, this 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 collection, this thing that brought him joy this thing that did serve a purpose is now creating this this pain point and i would say right there is like the red flag for you to start to get rid of your movie collection or you know for the other listeners who have a library that's now stressing them out moving those books around and taking care of those like that's a sign you should start getting rid of that stuff got a couple more here one from alonzo says do you still buy hard copy books yeah i still buy hard copy books actually you gave me a book uh, not too long ago, um, to read, which was a really nice gift, and I'm really enjoying the book. Um, but yeah, I, I have about 15 hard copy books. Most of them are referenced, though. Uh, the ones that aren't referenced, I will donate, I will get rid of, I will pass it on, I will minimize it uh, when I'm done reading it. The majority of the books I have now are on my Kindle, uh, on my on my laptop, or on my phone. I just use the Kindle app and, and keep most of my books there. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's great if you want to buy physical books to to give out as gifts. I, I always encourage people to minimize the book after they're done. You know, find someone else who can get value from it because it doesn't get a lot of value just sitting on the shelf. The value is in the words. Uh, the value is not in uh, maintaining or, or retaining a, a physical artifact. Our last question is from Zachary York. He says, do you still give out free hugs at your meetups? <laughs> of course. Not only are they free, but they are transferable. So you can hand them out to thousands of other people as well. That was a cool thing about uh, back in 2014, we did 
a um, hundred city tour, hundred nineteen events, eight countries, and we had something like seventy five thousand people RSVP for that. So we gave out tens of thousands of hugs, and you get this sort of kinesthetic learning, uh, this experience that you don't get it's otherwise. Amazing. And I've become a lot better at hugging too. Yeah. I, I've learned so. So uh, the hugs now. If you got one a few years ago. I, I would say that I'm, I'm more of an expert hugger than I once was. We, we, we love to go out there. I've learned there are a couple kinds of hugs too. You've got the the, the you get the, the slow dance hug. Yeah, that's that's the one right there. The embrace. You hold it for an extra two or three uncomfortable yeah, seconds. You sway a little bit. <laughs> and at our events, we get kind of sweaty, so you sweat on the person too. <laughs> Um, no, and, and you and you sort of have the bro tap, and I found I used to do that a lot more, yeah. and that was that was just just because you get uncomfortable with physical contact. I found, and I'm no longer uncomfortable with physical contact. So if you if you see me, you'll you'll get a uh, a slightly more of a slow dance hug than you might be expecting. Ladies and gentlemen, Joshua Fields Milburn, expert hugger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and so we are actually hitting the road in, in May, 14 different cities. You, you can join us. Uh, all of our, our tour dates are there, but you can come get a hug. You can find the tour dates at um, theminimalists.com slash tour. Let's move on to our added value portion of the show, uh, where we each recommend something that has added value to our lives, either recently or in the past. Uh, I'll go ahead and start with... There is a video. It's about a 20-minute video called The Story of Stuff, which seems apropos here. Um, it was uh, a woman created it in 2007, and here are here's the synopsis of, of the video. I would encourage you to check it out. We'll also put a link to the video in the show notes. From its extraction through sale, use and disposal, all the stuff in our lives affects communities at home and abroad, yet most of this is hidden from view. The Story of Stuff is a 20-minute, fast-paced, fact-filled look at the underside of our production and consumption patterns. And so if you get a chance, check out The Story of Stuff. It'll give you the in-between and the hidden side uh, of things, not just the manufacturing and uh, consumption side of things, but everything that goes into what makes our stuff. And if you're looking for a comical take on stuff, I would take a look at George Carlin's video about stuff. You can go to theminimalists.com slash stuff. Classic. Totally classic. That one's hilarious. Uh, Today, I would like to recommend a donation box to place in your home. You can find your donation box at theminimalists.com. I'm just kidding. Uh, (laughs) Just grab an old old cardboard box or crate. This is uh, something that Mariah and I do. And what's really cool is, uh, like, for example, we got a donation box right now that's full of stuff. We need to take it out. But that has taken us the last, I'd say, two months to fill. So what's awesome is that I totally commit to donating something. And maybe I'll twitch a little bit and be like, oh, maybe I shouldn't donate that. Maybe I'll need it. You know, I'll still have that 30 to 60 days to to see if I actually need it or not. Yeah. And what's cool, too, is it totally uh, is something that Mariah and I are on the same page with, something that you know, an activity that brings us a little bit closer together. And I, I think with the family, like donation box is perfect, especially to show, you know, young children like, Hey, this is stuff we don't need anymore. Uh, we're going to put it in this box and we're going to go bring it to the store. So someone else who does need it uh, can find use in it. Yeah, so I yeah, get empty it. mine every, every month. So I, the first of each month, 
I uh, I'll go to the take it take it to the donation place wherever you want to donate. I, I tend to go to Goodwill, but we have a couple of really great places here in Missoula. So mm-hmm. uh, you can go to donationtown.org and you can find some really great places to donate your stuff as well. Yes. Finally, let's move on to our last segment, a little something we call right here, right now. This is the stuff we're excited about, things that are going on in the lives of the minimalists. As I mentioned already, we are going on the road. We're, we're getting into our tour bus, which is Ryan's Toyota Corolla, and, and we're hitting the road for uh, a month, uh, May 1st to June 1st, 14 different cities, and we're bringing our documentary on the road, but we're also bringing this podcast on the road. So we're going to do some recordings of hashtag Ask the Minimalists in, in person, some live events. We're really excited to share this documentary with you. If you haven't seen the new trailer, you should definitely check it out. You can go to our YouTube page at youtube.com slash The Minimalists or our Facebook page, and, and we post a new trailer and uh, so much great feedback. You're going to get just a little hint, a taste of what uh, is in store. This documentary is phenomenal. Our director, Matt Diavella, is a genius, and we have put together this. We've spent the last you know two-plus years of our lives working on this, interviewing yeah. minimalist entrepreneurs, minimalist designers and architects and families and uh, economists and neuroscientists and everything in between. And we're presenting a bunch of different recipes for how to live a more meaningful life. So you can find the, the trailer. Uh, actually, you can find all of this stuff, our tour, the trailer, and you can also figure out how to bring this documentary to your city. We already have over 100 screenings that are, are scheduled all over the United States. And you can, if there isn't a screening near you, you can actually bring this documentary to your community. It's really, really simple. All the details are at minimalismfilm.com. Now, if you're not in the United States, don't worry. We uh, have a theatrical release planned for Canada and also one planned for Australia. Details are, are still coming on that. And then we're also working on overseas distribution as well as a worldwide release of the film. So find out about when we're going to be in your city, and you can see the trailer. You can see a bunch of other excerpts from the film, all at minimalismfilm.com. And every Tuesday, we're doing Tuesdays with the Minimalists, as you probably heard in our last podcast episode. So this Tuesday, this next Tuesday, you can join us on Twitter or Periscope. We're answering your questions live And finally, I have a uh, writing class coming up. So I do a a semester-long writing class over at howtowritebetter.org, and I know that is time-prohibitive or cost-prohibitive for some people. So I'm doing a a one-day class on February 7th, a workshop. You can find all the details for that at howtowritebetter.org. And finally, if you are looking to hang out with like-minded people, if you find yourself not surrounded by supporting folks who want to support your simple lifestyle, you can always go to minimalist.org. We have 100 free local meetup groups that meet at least once a month. Some of them meet multiple times a month, but uh, check your local group out, um, get some support, get some help. If you don't find that we have a local group in your city, that's okay. We have an online city uh, that has a ton of uh, community involvement, a ton of support on there. Thousands um, of people. Yeah, thousands of people. Um, it, it, we launched that in December, and it has grown so much, and I'm really, really happy to see uh, people getting value out of that online city. So don't fret. Go to online city. Uh, you can find some support there.
All right, y'all. Well, we hope you found value in this episode. And if you leave here with just one message, we hope it's this. Love people and use things because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you next time. Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Every little thing that you gotta have Every little thing that you gotta have You gotta reach for And you gotta grab Oh, I bet that you'll be fine without it So tear your eyes away Or tear your eyes away